Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. We as... HMI designers, human machine interface designers, as UX, UI designers, screen designers, we have a specific problem. Everybody has an opinion on HMIs. And I mean, really, everybody has this opinion. And we share, we share this one, this problem with other professions like, for example, cooks. If you are a chef in a restaurant, you know how to design, how to make a meal, how to bring it out. And me as the customer, I sit there, I have a look at it, I try it, and then I can say, yeah, I like it and I don't like it. Yeah, and that's my good right. I mean, I have this opinion, I have this emotion when I see and when I taste, when I smell Uh, a piece of food somebody prepared for me and I can say, yeah, I like it, I don't like it. This this cook is a good cook, this chef is a bad chef. The same with architecture. Now, we all see a building and we have an opinion on it. We say, ah, it's a cool building, I like it, or bah, somebody should have not built this, or somebody should have stopped the guys building this uh, building, this house or this whatever. And this is, uh, I mean, again, we have the right to have this opinion. And the same is with technology. So humans develop emotions when they interact with the technology. And they do this right away. It's an, they have an immediate opinion when they see something. And they like it or they hate it. And it's their right to do this, but, but that's definitely not scientific. That will not take us anywhere. And the big problem here is that the CEOs, the CTOs, the project leaders, the sales guys, whoever, they all have their own opinion when you present your HMI solution. And you do this and then uh, somebody comes up and says, yeah, not, not bad, but why, why don't you make it like this? That would be much, much easier if you do it like this and much, much more beautiful if you change this color from red to blue. And of course, all these persons are, are totally correct in what they do, but it is their personal opinion. We as HMI designers, UX designers, UI designers, screen designers, we as technology designers, we are the ones that have to bring it to a level that we get independent from these personal, spontaneous, immediate opinions that, that uh, humans get when they interact with our HMI. 
And for this, uh, we should use a scientifically based set or at least a standardized uh, set of parameters of things we do, of procedures we apply and also on parameters we use to develop, to judge our solution. At the end of the day, we should reach a level that, uh, and I mean, this is the art that we have, and this is also the art of an architect or a chef, that we meet not only the taste of one single person, maybe ourselves, but that we meet the expectations of, let's say, 80% of all users. And if you design an HMI where 80% of all users say, yeah, this is cool, I like it, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's okay, then you have done a pretty, pretty good job. And if your, your CEO belongs to the remaining 20% and presses his view through, you will not meet the majority of your users. And this is why I have defined a set of uh, six parameters I would like to talk about today. They are more the overarching parameters that um, yeah will help you to analyze and to develop an HMI solution. It's a set that I have developed over the time. Um, I have honed it. I have redefined it. I added some. I, I removed some of the parameters. Uh, but I use them all the time when I work on an HMI development for my clients. Let's run through them step by step. So number one is balance. You have to balance your HMI. And there is an external balance and there is an internal balance. The external balance so basically, you have to balance your HMI with your users and with that connected to the use cases. So if do you have a professional user group, for example, a delivery truck driver, then you have certain use cases, just like, yeah, navigating, um, listening to music. That's what a non-professional driver has as well. But also maybe cargo handling. Maybe you have a part of the HMI where um, it tells you where to pick up something, where to deliver something, where to um, where, how to drive most efficiently, depending on traffic, depending on your next delivery point. These are things that professional users, like these these uh, cargo truck drivers, the delivery truck drivers, they have this, and. Somebody driving over the weekend uh, to do some shopping and, and maybe some, some hiking in the woods uh, is not having these use cases. This person is having different use cases. So you have to look, have a look at what, what is my user group? What are their problems that I need to solve? Connected to that, what are the applications in there? Do I have a electric car? Maybe I need a charging management. Do I have a delivery truck, then I may need a cargo um, management part in it. Or do I have a high-end car driven um, by a chauffeur and the user or the main user, the owner is sitting in the rear seat, then again, I have different applications. You have to balance it with the environment. Where is somebody sitting? Where is the user, he or she, sitting? And I mean, in the past, in the automotive industry, we had a privilege that we knew exactly where our users 
where inside a car and we pretty well knew what posture they had uh, what they see what they can grab uh, what the environment is we had a very exact idea of the environment of our users and now as we get more and more what i call liquid hmis or fluid hmis mean that we control more and more functions from external instances like um, smartphones like tablets we suddenly don't know anymore what the environment of our users is is he or she sitting or standing is he or she making a phone call while interacting with my app uh, is he or she walking around we, we just don't know this and then we have um, the uh, cross-cultural issues the intercultural differences uh, we still have on the world and it will remain greetings to my old friend uh, Rudiger Heimgärtner whose um, life challenge uh, is his life focus is researching and developing in the intercultural areas we will have this in the future so we will have different tastes we will have different approaches to what technology we will have different experiences different environments so all that changes from country to country from continent to continent we have an asian approach or a european approach a us american approach and in the future we will also see more and more mobility technologies in south america and southeast asia and africa so we have a growing diversity of of cultures so th these are the things that count into external balance that you have to take into account if you want to design for external balance users use cases applications environments cultures and um, there are probably a few more. Internal balance. An HMI consists basically of three major components. One is the input. That is everything that controls the information transfer from the user into the system. For example, a touchscreen, a central controller device, rotary push, a touchpad, a gesture recognition, a voice recognition, a, yeah, whatever. So all the things that a user, a human, uh, uses to um, give information into some kind of technology. And then we have the output area which is yeah the other way around the um, technologies that are used or the procedures that are used to transfer information from the technology to the users of course a screen um, maybe also a button that blinks um, maybe voice maybe vibrations haptic feedback so all this is the the um, uh, output and in my experience, many developers believe when they have designed the input and the output, then they have designed an HMI. So we have a screen design, we have some technologies, and we know how to do this, and now we are done. And this, from my point of view, is wrong. There is a third component, which is the interaction design, which is everything that is inside a technology that is behind let's say the curtains that what, what's happening uh, be, be in areas that i don't really see at first sight all the manuatries the structures the static structure and, and the dynamic structure of a system how are pop-ups handled um, how is the procedure handled how can i move backwards and forwards 
in a certain procedure. So that is all summarized under interaction design. And all these three, inputs, output, and interaction design, they need to be balanced very well. One story from, from my professional past, when I was at Harman, that's 15 years or more ago, uh, we developed an HMI for one of the big American OEMs, the big, uh, one of the big American car makers. And it was a touchscreen system, and I think we have done a pretty good job, and everyone was satisfied. And then this OEM found out, oh, we have these huge pickup trucks and SUVs and, and vans. And um, so problem uh, users, humans have problems in reaching the touchscreen. So we want to have a, a remote device, a rotary push device as well in the car, in, a, in addition in the car, or replacing the touchscreen. And just, just take off the touchscreen and then put in um, a rotary push device. The problem here is that you destroy the balance of an HMI if you do this. Just one simple example. If you have a screen and on the left side of the screen there is a map and on the right side there is a list of POIs, of addresses, then with the touchscreen, it's pretty easy to switch between the two halves, between the left side and the right side. You just move your, your finger from, from the left to the right. There's maybe a big problem if you use a rotary push device. How do you do this in this case? So you will need other interaction structures if you have a different input device. And this goes into everything. And I mean, at the end of the story was we redesigned the entire HMI. We kept the design language and the colors and everything um, that was more on a visual side, but everything else on the input strategies and the output strategies, we adapted to the new device. And again, we created a pretty good HMI for this American OEM. Second point, consistency. And again, we have an internal consistency and we have an external consistency. Internal consistency means a system, an HMI, a technology is similar to itself. So if a certain interaction strategy is applied, it shall be applied in the entire system. For example, if there is a back button always in the upper left corner, it shall always be in the upper left corner and not suddenly in the radio on, on the lower right corner. Um, the, the same as the strategy. How do I go back? How do I move forward? And even if you select the second best solution, then do it anywhere. Do it everywhere in the entire system not changing that one. I mean, for me, for me, interacting with technology is speaking a foreign language. So my um, uh, major language, my native uh, language is German, and um, I think I speak uh, pretty good Eng English, and I speak a little Spanish. And all these languages are different. And they have different vocabulary, different grammatical structures, different emotions you can express. And, and uh, I mean, German is natural for me. That's my, my native language. But um, English and Spanish are not my natural language. So it's uh, not my natural vocabulary. It's not my natural grammar. 
And so it is, um, and, and you can be pretty good. I mean, you can, you can learn it. You can be pretty, pretty good, but it's not your natural one. And then if you speak two foreign languages at the same time, if you force me into speaking English and Spanish at the same time, I will be totally messed up. And now if you see the interaction between a human and a technology as speaking a foreign language, and then you force people into speaking two different languages, for example, the touchscreen language and uh, the rotary push button language, then you will end up in even more problems. You will, you will, um, yeah, you will get uh, more serious and, and bigger problems in this one. So, internal consistency make the system similar to itself. External consistency means that we can reuse certain experiences we have in one context to another context. And this may be similar devices. So if you um, learn how to work with an iPhone, then you will learn certain things. And some of that you can replicate in an Android phone. Some not and some can. So, so there is a certain external consistency between these two. Another one um, that I always use an example is my analog uh, paper basket that I have and uh, the Windows uh, recycle bin on the desktop. So you have an analog device and you can throw something into it, into the paper basket. And if I find out, oops, uh, I, I still need this document, um, I can go there and I can get it and I can pull it out and I still have it. The same is with um, the digital recycle bin on the desktop. You can put data in there. You can, uh, yeah, files you don't want to use anymore. You don't need anymore. You can put them in there. And if you find out, oops, I need them, you can uh, still find them there and, and reactivate them. If I take my paper and then throw it away, or if I empty my recycle bin, in both cases, the thing is gone. You cannot get it back. So this is a classic example of external consistency. Third point, usefulness. Technology needs to be useful. It needs to create a value. Now, this is one of my core points. You can wake me up at three in the morning. I'll say, hey, technology needs to, needs to have a value. It needs to make human lives better, safer, easier, more focused, richer, funnier, whatever. So technology needs to do something. If technology is not doing this, then it may be art, but probably it is just junk. And how can you measure this one? The perceived benefit of a technology needs to be higher than the perceived price. So the, the perceived price that you have is, yes, of course, money. You pay for this. You go to your electronics dealer and um, you want to have a TV and you pay money. You leave $500 there. You then, uh, after an hour, you have invested time, you return home, and then you have to unwrap it, you have to install it, you have to put in all the stations, you have to think about how it works. Then you have all the trash in your living room, you have to bring it out. So this is the price that you pay. And then you have some benefit. 
in the TV, it may be entertainment, it may be fun, it may be education that you get out of it, and other technologies, it may be safety, speed, focus, uh, whatever these benefits are. And if the perceived price is smaller than the perceived benefit that I have, then you have a useful technology. And now, make one exercise, stop this podcast, walk around in your house, have a look at all the technologies you have there and really analyze them under this aspect. Is my perceived benefit higher than the perceived price I paid or not? And then please return and continue listening to this because we move on to parameter number four, which is simplicity. KISS, keep it straight and simple. When I was at Harman, um, the CTO, so my boss boss at that time always said to me, hey, Dr. Resker, you have the easiest job in the entire company. You, all you need to do is keep it straight and simple. Make it easy. Make it simple. There is nothing as complex as simplicity in HMI design. Imagine you have a traditional bicycle and you have one of these artistic one-wheel bicycles. Which one is simpler? From a developer's point of view, from a technician point of view, the one-wheeler is far simpler. You just have one wheel, one tire, no brakes, no gears. Uh, the frame is super simple. Just a saddle, a super simple frame, some paddles and, and, and a wheel. That's all. If you have a traditional bicycle, you have two wheels, you have a frame that is far more complex, you have brakes, you have uh, gear changers, far more complex thing. But if you want to use it, the traditional bicycle with two wheels is far easier than the one-wheeler that you have. So from a user's point of view, the Traditional bicycle is far, far easier to use. And for me, simplicity is all about the feeling of control. So if the user has the control that he or she uh, is under control, if we create the feeling of control for the user, then a technology is perceived as simple. We have things that are suddenly happening, bad surprises. Oops, what's going on here? Or, ah, I, I can't do this. I can't find this button. Um, where, where is this function gone? If, if we create a situation like this, then we do not create a simple HMI. We do not create simplicity in technology. But if the user has the feeling, yeah, cool, I'm in control, and the system does exactly what I want it to do. And, and uh, I know exactly where to press a button and how to shift a slider. Perfect. Then we have uh, an HMI that is perceived simple. So the main message here is just the reduction of an HMI, taking away things, uh, deleting buttons, um, is not creating simplicity. A nice example out of the automotive world here is the very first BMW iDrive that was introduced in 99 or 2000. So it's, it's more than 20 years ago. 
BMW brought that 7 Series to the market and they had as a central control device just this uh, aluminium rotary push shift device. Looked super simple, just this one device, nothing else. But it was extremely complex to use. You had not only rotating, but also and pressing, but also shifting eight directions. And some of these directions had a double shifting functions. So that was not really easy to use. And BMW realized this. And in later versions of the iDrive, um, they have additional hard keys. And from a, let's say, construction point of view, from, from a design point of view, it became more complex because you have more buttons around it. But from a user point of view, they created simplicity because they gave more control. They had a dedicated back button and a dedicated options button. The functions had hard keys. So they gave control back to the user, the feeling of control. Um, they gave it back to the users. And so they created simplicity with that. So basically, it's avoiding bad surprises. Uh, it's, it's reflecting the known, known, okay, um, I'm safe, I'm sure and I'm in control, then you have simplicity. Number five, personalization. This is one of the bigger trends that I see in HMI. I mean, we are all different humans. We are all have different experiences, different expectations. We have learned different things. We express ourselves in a different way. And that is great that 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 makes humans human, that they're all different from each other's. So the idea that everyone is using the exact same technology in the exact same way is pretty ridiculous. And the first thing you can think about here is the skinning of an HMI. So you say, okay, we have five different screen designs and you as a user, you can select from this. And some may want to have a more simplified one. Others want to have more an artistic one. Some want to have a green one and other ones, others want to have a, a dark gray one. So you can select it and say, okay, I want to have this. Or you can even go into the functional area. The, the last render cars that I had all had digital cluster displays. And there you can select, do I want to have a more simplified design or do I want to have a more... Yeah, richer design, more information, less information. Um, do I want to have a more media application focused uh, uh, arrangement or a more driving oriented arrangement? So there, there are usually three or four different designs you can select from. And um, yeah, select the one that you like most. Another example is uh, the BMWs have a row of uh, eight freely programmable buttons. Not the very latest ones, but um, the, the ones that you see on the road mostly. And there you can put on eight functions that are, yeah, that, that you want to have there. So this could be phone numbers, uh, destinations, map views. So all this, um, yeah, you can program it into these buttons pretty easily. It's a long press that you do in a certain context, and then it is programmed there. And the nice thing is, um, my, 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 my wife and I, we drive the same BMW and she has her key and I have my key. And these functions, the, the functions of these eight buttons, they are related to the keys. So if my wife opens the car, her 
eight destinations, map views, phone numbers are stored on these eight buttons. And if I do it, mine are there. So very nice way of personalizing an HMI and saying, okay, um, and yeah, for me, it's like an unbutton number one. That's my home address. And wherever I am in Europe, I just press number one and I know my car will show me the way home. Very good feeling. Very nice thing. A latest example of how you can do this is the Mercedes hyperscreen. This big uh, pillar to pillar screen that you have in, in the big uh, S classes and EQS cars. There they have something, it's a marketing uh, expression, they use the one layer HMI, saying, okay, uh, most of the functions are on the top layer. Yes, somehow true. And the nice thing here is, and this is what I find really, really cool, there are buttons that pop up and the content of these buttons, they depend on the context of use, the users, the environment you're in, and the entire thing is driven by artificial intelligence. So depending on your use cases, the car can preview, all right, uh, Peter will drive and uh, he is always listening to heavy metal music so we can put a heavy metal button on the top layer of the HMI. So th this, this is a very nice example, a combination of personalization and artificial intelligence in, these, uh, in this big screen that you have in, in, in the Mercedes cars. Number six, emotions. That is when we get deeply into user experience. And for me, the world champion of emotionalizing technology is Apple. So if you remember the first uh, iPhones when it came out 2007, 8, 9, 10, there were always long waiting lines in front of the Apple stores. And they, people were coming there the evening before. They stayed there overnight just to be among the first of having one of these new technological devices. And I mean, we were talking about just another smartphone at that time. I mean, 2007, the Apple iPhone was nothing outstanding. It was okay. It was good, but not outstanding. And there was not even an app store. Nobody really realizes this or knows this anymore today. But yeah, Apple was able to emotionalize their product so much that people said, I want to be amongst the first having it. And we are not talking about a limited technology. I mean, three days later, you just go into the Apple store, put your credit card on the desk, and 10 minutes later, you walk out with your Apple iPhone. I mean, no problem with this. But people were not ready to wait is because they were so highly emotionalized with this one. Another one that is a little more automotive and a little closer to me is Harley Davidson. They're also world champions in emotionalizing technology. And I mean, a Harley is a statement. A Harley is something you make a lifetime decision if you buy one. And Harley-Davidson is making a significant amount of their revenue, if not the largest amount of their revenue, with um, clothes, with merchandise, with cubs, with uh, jewelry. So the car technology, the motorbikes, they're just one part of the revenue stream, but uh, a significant one is all the rest that they have. And 
if you have a closer look at it, all these jackets and boots and helmets, yeah, that's all okay stuff, yeah. But it's definitely not worth the money, to be honest. So, yeah, I mean, it is cool to have it and it's great to have it. But uh, objectively, if you, if you look at it, at it without emotions, there are cheaper and better uh, pieces of equipment out there. And it's the same with the bikes. I mean, Harley-Davidson, it's all a bit outdated technology. It's uh, very traditional. And of course, there are better bikes out there. But they do not create the emotion of a Harley-Davidson. And if you design an HMI and you get this, you get it to the level of an Apple of a Harley-Davidson, hey man, then it's time to retire because you can't get any better in this. All right, let's go down to the point. I talked about six uh, overarching parameters of HMI design. There are balance, internal balance and external balance. That's consistency, internal, external consistency. That's usefulness, simplicity, personalization and the creation of emotions. There are, of course, far more parameters in this. Um, whether it's the ISO 15008, whether it's the ISO 9241, uh, whether it's about fonts, about colors, about uh, color combinations, about Gestalt theory, um, all these are also parameters that influence this ones. But the six ones I'm discussed here are the major overarching parameters if you want to analyze or design a brilliant HMI solution. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an unknown exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, Peter minus rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.